Welcome to Dean's Council, a podcast aimed at supporting university leaders holding one of the more critical jobs on university campus. Your panelists, Ken Kring, Jim Ellis, and Dave Eikenberry, engage in conversation with highly accomplished deans and other academic leaders regarding the ever-complex array of challenges deans face in one of the loneliest and most unique jobs in the academy. Heidi Kessner has been a legendary dean at Indiana's Kelly School of Business. After serving two terms and winning Dean of the Year Award from Poets and Quants in 2019, Heidi recently transitioned to Dean Emeritus and now holds the Frank Popoff Chair of Strategic Management. Heidi is a product of the Kelly School, earning both her MBA and her PhD there before joining the faculty at UNC Chapel Hill for over a decade. After returning to Kelly in the mid-1990s, she rose through various leadership ranks before being named Interim Dean in 2012 and eventually Dean a year later. Although not well-versed or experienced in marketing, Heidi was absolutely passionate that branding would be critical to Kelly's future. In fact, from day one, Heidi made this her number one priority and essentially staked her entire deanship on defining Kelly's brand and sharing it widely. In this episode, we learn of the many benefits Kelly has reaped from its successful branding experience, including increased programmatic cash flows, which have in turn allowed Kelly to achieve so many of its objectives. Ivy, thank you for being with us uh, here today. Delighted to have uh, you engaged in this conversation. We together know that we're going to find out some things about uh, your experience at uh, University of Indiana, Kelly, that will be uh, informative to us and to and to others. You know, f- uh, our history is interesting. We have always tried to get you to do other things, but you've been too engaged in building Kelly to take our calls very seriously. But frankly, you know, we've been watching, we've been hearing. So we thought today's conversation, you know, could be informative to all about how you've done uh, what you've done over the course of uh, two excellent terms. So welcome. Glad to jump into the conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's it's really an honor to be among other uh, successful deans and to be invited to to this forum. Well, it's, it's great to have you and we appreciate it. It's been so much fun, as Ken said, watching from afar how you built Kelly. And I, I congratulate you on an absolutely spectacular job and knowing full well some of the pitfalls and the speed bumps you hit. And that's kind of what we thought we'd talk a little bit about and, and sort of how you how you built the Kelly brand and how you uh, dealt with some of the issues that you had, and our goal is to just impart your wisdom on the on the new deans and sitting deans that are trying to do the same kind of thing in in their institutions. So let's kick it off and just kind of let you explain to us, you know, what is branding in your mind, and how do you how do you go about building a brand for an institution, which is it's hard to differentiate. I mean, we all teach net present value, discounted cash flow, and the four P's of marketing. So how do you how do you differentiate a school to build a brand? Well, Jim, I think that's a wonderful question and an important question. And I will say that it was one of the most important objectives that I had set out even before I was selected as the dean. So you know how dean search processes work. Uh, you have a bunch of candidates who submit their Uh, applications and it's narrowed down and you do airport interviews and then it's narrowed down further. 
And you probably have about four deans that have ultimately come to the school to visit and give talks. And I was the internal candidate. There were three external candidates and I was the internal candidate. And in that, that process of giving talks to every conceivable audience, to faculty, group of students, group of alumni, group of staff, every conceivable audience, I repeated over and over again that if I was selected as dean, there'd be three things that I would focus my attention on with the hope that I would make some progress on them during my tenure as dean. And number one on that list was building the Kelly brand, it was making the Kelly brand well-known. That was number one on the list because I understood, and I'm not a marketing person, yet I understood that if we could do that, it would feed all the other objectives that we had set out for ourselves. And so I, I proposed that that would be top of my list and indeed it was. Um, I will tell you, it was interesting going early on because even though that was top of my list, and oh, by the way, I should mention, I said in those talks, if, if these things, the th things I've mentioned are the things that you want to accomplish as a school, then I'm your person. And if not, if not, uh, and I can't be present for the other presentations, please know as an alum of this school, if someone else has a better idea, I would vote for them. Just know that. I can't be there to vote, but I would vote for them if they have better ideas about how to move the school forward. And so I felt very fortunate in being selected as the dean. And I immediately started working on the brand, immediately. And not surprisingly, got a lot of pushback at that point in time. Got some pushback from the administration that saw marketing as sort of an amorphous uh use of money and, and wondered whether there were better uses for our money that it, it was so intangible to them. I got pushback from the faculty, who of course, wanted the money to go to their research accounts as opposed to helping with the branding message for the school overall. Um, and so you have to endure that pushback very early on and, and set it as a priority and make the investments. And then as success occurs, you have to feed that data back to the faculty and to all of your constituents so that they know the value of the investment that you just made. They, they understand it. So it's a bit of endurance in the, in the first cycle and then uh, a bit of proof in terms of the data in subsequent cycles. Uh, but I can't think of a better use for our resources. The, we had a reserve left by the previous dean. I couldn't think of a better use for those resources early on in my career as dean. What are some of the examples of things that you did to build that brand and how did you see those as really, you know, prioritized and how, how did you look at those different things? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, let me begin by saying something that may not be obvious to everyone else. And that is, even though we had reserves, we had resources to invest in marketing and brand building. We're not a wealthy school by any stretch. We, we have a good amount of financial reserves, but we certainly had to be cautious in how we spent it. So we actually went out and searched for an alum who was very senior in a marketing organization and said, can you help us with this? And that alum gave us access to a branding company that his organization used pro bono. I cannot tell you exactly how valuable that was to us. It, I can't even express the value that that was. That company worked on our branding message, our awareness building and branding message. We didn't have a brand before, worked on it for at least eight months. And then they came to us 
with a presentation, came to the senior leadership team with a presentation about what they felt would be a, a good brand idea for us. And um, I remember it so clearly because Jim, it there was a there was a uh, snowstorm that day, and I can't remember precisely whether our team was supposed to be in New York or their team was supposed to be in Bloomington, Indiana, but we couldn't get to each other because of the snowstorm. So we did it on the phone, um, and this was before Zoom, really. But but we did it on the phone, and um, they announced what the branding message was going to be. And I remember there was dead silence, dead silence on the phone. And like every good administrator, I sort of, I had learned the lesson, let the silence hang because someone will want to speak up. Someone will feel uncomfortable and speak up. And I was, I was quiet for a long time and pretty soon everybody was uncomfortable because no one was speaking up. And I finally said, you know, I'm going to say, I don't think the brand you have created reflects us. I, I, I'm having a hard or difficult time with this. And I, I specified it. And as soon as I made that pronouncement, everybody else on my team said, yeah, that's what's bothering me. Now, rather than this group that was working pro bono, rather than them saying, take it or leave it, you know, we've been working without pay, you just take it, or saying, okay, we'll tweak it. You know, we'll tweak the message somehow. They said, we'll start over. And wow. I was just amazed by that because the, the thought that they were going to give us their all again until we nailed it down. So the next time, which was months later, this time our team was able to get to New York. I went to New York and they presented to me. They presented the very first message, which was go from moment to momentum. And uh, which is what we use and we we talk about it and I'll explain it in just a moment to you. But as soon as I heard it, I said, that's it. That is it. And they said, no, wait a minute. You haven't heard the other two. And I said, no, no, that's it. And they said, no, no, you have to hear the other two. And I said, oh, OK. And they presented the other two. And then I said, nope, nope, nope. Back to the first one. That was it. And here's why. We had always, always believed in that kind of message as our educational philosophy. We always believed as faculty and as staff here that we were creating moments for our students that we hoped would create momentum for their careers, that all of the things that we do in the classroom and outside of the classroom were about these very special moments that help build momentum. And if our students understood and knew how to take advantage of those moments and treated them with respect and, and dignity and, and understood their importance, then they themselves would help us in that creation of momentum. And so as soon as I heard it, I understood that was our educational philosophy and that our faculty could get around it. So the team, the branding team that had been working for free came to the school a few months later to do the big presentation. We assembled all of the faculty in a large auditorium we wouldn't be able to fit in the auditorium today, but we could in those days because it was it was uh, probably a dozen years ago now. We assembled in a large auditorium and they presented it. And then I held a faculty vote after they presented the, the sort of brand message. And with the exception of one faculty member, this this, you know, hundreds of faculty members in the room, with the exception of one, the vote was positive. 
And I knew we had nailed it. I knew we had reflected the essence of what we saw ourselves doing for our students and our other constituents is taking their, their careers from a moment into the momentum that, that we knew we could, we could help uh, in terms of developing. So um, selecting the right message is important and you can't compromise. You can't, you can't say, okay, well, we'll just go with that message. It sounds okay to me, or it sounds like it has a, a nice ring to it. You have to know that it is the essence of who you are and what you are. And then once you have it, you have to invest whole hog in it. You have to, you have to really put your investments behind it and transcend any one unit within the school because we didn't have the ability to um, have brand messages for all 30 of our degree programs. We had to have a single brand message, which is not wealthy enough to, to have 30 different brand messages and make it work like a, a Procter & Gamble or another kind of, of uh, a consumer product company that can have multiple brand messages for various products. I was wondering whether there were, it's a fabulous story, and whether there were ways in which you had to socialize and prepare your respective communities to select that moment. Yeah, so we did have to continue the flow of feedback. Communication was very, very important at every stage that we were working on it. And then, Ken, as I mentioned to you, what really became important is afterwards ensuring that they understood the value that it presented. So I'm just going to give you that illustration because it's it's both important beforehand socializing, but it's important afterwards communicating exactly what happened and the value that it represented. So in our first tranche, our first investment of money, we had invested over a three-year period $10 million. And that $10 million, and, and by the way, as I mentioned before, we now have 30 programs, but at that time, we probably had about 25 different programs. And we decided we would measure the results in just two of those programs. By the way, our largest program, our undergraduate program, was not one of those two. But we were going to measure the impact on two of our programs. The two programs that we measured in those days were the full-time MBA program and the online MBA program. And those two programs alone, that first investment over the first three years of $10 million produced in just those two programs, $33 million in incremental revenue. It was a huge, huge uplift. If we'd measured all of our programs, imagine what the value would have been. We did the same thing with the next tranche that we invested, an equal amount of money over an equal amount of time. And the new, this time we measured four, four programs and the uplift was 58 million in incremental revenues. We knew that our story was not being told. We knew that. And so we could tell that, that the information that was going to come out and the brand building was going to help us financially uh, tell our story bet in a better way. You know, it's really interesting because early on when I, when I worked with the uh, marketing company that helped us, I remember we had done a study by a company called Simpson Scarborough, which does market research for uh, universities and, and schools of business. And um, the study was, it was expensive at the time, I thought. And I remember it had been, um, that the agreement had been signed on by one of our, our uh, department or, or program chairs. And I, I was swallowing hard because it was very expensive. 
But in that analysis, that market research of all of the respondents that they contacted, and it was hundreds of them, only one person could name our school. That was a long time ago, but only one person. And I knew that our story wasn't being told. And that was the problem. And I said to the company, oh, woe is us. You know, our story is not there. Our story is not being told. No one knows about us. And they said, no, no, it's the perfect way to, for marketing to play a role because you have a positive message. You have a positive story. Let us help you tell that story. And they were so enthusiastic about being able to create the brand and then promote the brand with a with a marketing message. Um, I should also note that I had been the uh, associate dean before becoming the dean, before the interim and then becoming dean. And I had traveled all over. And we had done a presentation in India. And I remember I was presenting to a very large company in India. And in fact, one of my former students. And I, I, we had done an amazing presentation about creating a, a MBA, a, an MBA program for their organization. Uh, for their employees. And uh, he said to me, Heidi, that was the best presentation we ever heard, but we can't go with you because no one knows you here in India. And then I had followed that with a trip to China and I met with a, a dean there and the dean had been a visiting professor at our school. And she said, oh, that was the best presentation we've ever heard to do this joint program, but no one knows you here in China. So I had had these experiences that told me that our, our name, our message was not getting out. And this was the most important thing we could do in order to send that message is to invest in ourselves. What would you tell a dean from a school that maybe has a particularly strong department discipline? You know, let's, I mean, Wharton and finance and Illinois and accounting and Northwestern, the tale of their marketing prowess has been for years and years and years and years, maybe beyond it's lived its useful life. I mean, what would you tell someone from a school like that who's really kind of marketing a discipline to take the entire school up discipline-wise? You did it by virtue of the MBA, online MBA, and I believe me, I followed your lead on that online MBA because it's it was really the gold standard. You know, what do you tell someone in terms of a general versus a specific thought process? Yeah, it's a great question, Jim. You don't have to run away from your successes, even if they are disciplinary successes or programmatic successes. You can leverage them. Uh, we felt it necessary to really send a message and have a brand message that transcended any one discipline or, or any one program. And so what we really tried to do was find the successes in a discipline or in a program, and then begin to leverage those and begin to build off of those. So let's go back to your example of what we did in our Kelly Direct online program. Our Kelly Direct online program was very different from other programs. It's very hands-on. It's very connected to the students. The faculty build very close relationships with the students. It's not a watch this video and turn in your assignments and or watch this this professor who recorded it three years ago, and then and then you turn in these assignments to someone else who's going to grade it. It's a relationship with the individual professor. Well, notice how that is a reflection of our our brand message. Go from moment to momentum. The professors are creating these moments for you, 
And that in turn is going to help with the momentum in your career. And so what we were doing was building off the successes we already had in that relationship building that had been important to us in our entire history. It's a part of our culture here. It's one of the reasons that I'm so proud of the faculty here. They, they build those connections to their students and to all constituents. And so we were taking those strengths that we had, that we had observed in a strategic a plan, a strategic analysis, and we were using that to create the brand message. So I would say, don't run away from your successes, but don't allow that also to limit you. Do you have a sense, uh, looking back, uh, whether there are either metrics or impressions of the uh, changes in morale, influence of culture, relationship with the rest of the uh, university that this kind of rising in the tide uh, was able to provide? Yes, absolutely. So it's a, it's a really good question. I, as I mentioned to you early on the first year when I was making these investments, there was a lot of pushback. The faculty felt that I could have spent that money uh, by distributing it and allowing them to do their research. And I kept saying over and over that this is going to, this, this tide is going to allow all ships to rise, that when we invest in the school overall, it'll create the resources we need that will allow us to invest in the other aspects of the school, including your research, including adding faculty, and including the role that we play at the university overall. And, and again, I mentioned this earlier, but trust me, I'm not sure the provost and the CFO were too excited about my investment, this, this large investment that I was making. But I actually put it all on the line. I remember saying, this is so important to me and to building this school that if, if you decide this is not an investment that can be made, then I think we have to ask whether I'm the right dean because this is something I'm absolutely committed to. And I don't think you should put it on the line at all times, but that was one of the times where it was that important to me. Now, having said this, I do have to tell you a, a funny story about this that I think about often. So I am probably the most risk averse person anyone will ever meet. I'm not necessarily proud of that, but it is <laughs> sort of inherent in my character. Um, I learned how to take a few more risks thanks to the previous dean, but I'm still very risk averse. Now, I can prove it to you. I can prove I'm the most risk averse person. So I was on the faculty at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill before I moved back to Indiana. And I say back because I was a graduate of the program. I was in North Carolina for 12 years, moved back to Indiana. And when I moved back to Indiana, I built the exact same home I had in North Carolina. That's a risk averse person, <laughs> trust me. You don't get more risk averse than that. So here I was making this huge investment, right? This, this very, very large investment, taking our reserves to do so. And I remember thinking something's going to happen and I'm going to try and shut it down. That's how risk averse I am. So I need to build a team around me that ensures that I don't make that mistake. So I called in my CMO. He, he wasn't, he doesn't actually, he did not actually have the title of CMO, but that's the role he played. And I said to him, um, and this is a, a previous person who holds the role. And I said to him, look, this is how it's going to go down. Something's going to happen. And I'm going to try and pull that money back. And your job, your job is to tell me, no, we got it. And he laughed. He thought I was teasing. And it was a few months later, probably six, nine months later, and I realized that 
we had overextended in some other areas and substantially so. And I called him into the office and I said, his name was Darren. And I said, Darren, I, I need that money back. And he said, no. And I said, oh, Darren, I know what I told you to say, but I need that money back. Something's happened. I need that money back. And he said, no. And I said, now, Darren, you report to me and I need that money back that, that we put in the account. And he said, he said, no. And um, he marched down to my colleague's office and my colleague, uh, my, my uh, associate dean came in, marched in after that and said, now, Idy, you know, this was number one in your list of, of goals you wanted to achieve. Number one. And you had set objectives. Don't do this. Don't do this. And he was right. I, I listened. I, I, I surrounded myself with people who had kind of a, a different approach to things and, and balanced me out in terms of my risk aversion. And in the end, it worked out, right? Um, we ended up just fine on the budget. But um, that's the other thing. If you're not one to spend money in an area like brand building, or if you're tempted to, to reverse out on things like that, you need to have a team that can supplement whatever your weakness might be, whatever your the downside risk might be. Because you don't build brand in a year. You can't put in a little money and then walk away. You might as well send it down the sink if that's what you're going to do. Just pour it down the sink. You have to build brand with ongoing investments over multiple years. And that exercise and that, that incident was a great reminder of staying true to it and surrounding myself with people that would help me stay true to the message and to the, and to the objective. So. First of all, this is a lesson, not just in brand building. This is a great lesson in leadership. And your leadership is is unbelievable. And kudos to you. But a couple of questions along those lines. Number one, that team that you built around you, which as every textbook on leadership says, don't surround yourself with yes people. And you sure as heck did not do that. Was that a team that you put in place? Was it a team you inherited? Did you have to go through a transition there, number one? And the second question is, how did you deal with a faculty member that might have the same kind of, like, you know, I, you're spending a lot of money here, and, and we need money for our research, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, and we know how faculty get a little self-centered in that regard, and they want that in their accounts rather than your marketing account. So, you know, leadership is all about how you deal with those kind of questions. How did you handle it both with your team and with faculty? Yeah. So let me answer the first question. Um, that is, I inherited some people and some people I brought in. And so it was a transition in terms of the leadership team. I didn't uh, dismiss everybody because I knew I needed some history and I needed some insights uh, in terms of how things operate and how things worked, even though I was an insider myself. But I also knew that over time, we weren't going to keep everybody in leadership roles and we were going to have to roll people in. But to the point that you made, Jim, I was very conscious of knowing my strengths and weaknesses and trying to fill the team out that would supplement my strengths and weaknesses. So anybody I brought on, had to bring new strengths to the team, not just replicating where I was. And I tried often to center myself or to put myself as close to the middle on a variety of issues as I could and build people out onto uh, ends of the continuum to make sure I had that perspective. And of course, we met often and we shared thoughts openly about how things were going. 
So that composition of the team is incredibly important. And it's not essential that you dismiss everybody, but it is essential that everybody have an open mind and be willing to discuss and that you as a leader be willing to take in that information without being critical, to invite that information without uh, scaring people away in terms of being able to express their thoughts and ideas. To the next part of your question, this is where, even though I was facing a lot of resistance, where I had to feed back the accomplishments. Every time we accomplished something, every time we made a move in a positive direction, especially on the brand building, every time it brought new resources or positive rankings or or whatever it was that we were being helped by vis-a-vis the brand message and getting that brand out there, I fed that back to the faculty so they understood the connection between the investment and the accomplishments that we were that we were achieving. And don't we shouldn't be light about this. Um, faculty who want to join a school, they look not only to what they're going to be able to accomplish individually at the school, but they look to things like the quality of the students, the quality of the school's reputation, the the uh, emphasis that the school has on on uh, its programs and so forth. So I knew enough to know even attracting faculty was going to be a part of being able to show what we were accomplishing and and being able to prove the value of the investment. I'm sort of wondering, you know, with the kind of uh, momentum that you've been able to to show and and leave, sort of how do you prepare the next dean? What do you, you know, what's your what's your role? And what do you not need to do in order to make the next dean uh, uh, successful? Well, I'm very conscious of engaging when someone asks for my engagement, but not being too involved to allow the next dean, whoever that might be, because our search is ongoing now, uh, the luxury of, of you know, coming in with their own uh, goals and objectives and their own thoughts in terms of moving the school forward. A lot has happened in 10 years and school is not the same as it was when I took over. And so the next dean needs to think about the new environment and think about doing things perhaps differently than I did things or than I would have done things. So I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I want the new dean to know that I'm here and will will answer any questions and help in any way that I can be a part of the school. I must say, um, having retired from the dean's position, and back to the faculty position. I always say the faculty position is the best one in academia. I am really enjoying myself, but I I told uh, the interim dean and, and will certainly tell the new dean when that person is in place that I am here if they need any help whatsoever. Um, but I hope that they will move the school forward in terms of some of the things we've accomplished and build off of what we've been able to do. Well, you are a great role model for having done the job you did. And like I said, I watched you from afar with great admiration and listening to you today. It just expanded that admiration. And I I thank you so much for your time today. This has truly been great. And we really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's been an honor, a real honor. And uh, obviously, if anybody has any follow-up questions, I'm always available to answer them. Thanks, Heidi. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. That was really good. Really informative. Yeah. And, and, you know, frankly, you know, the combination of her being 
forthright, gracious, self-aware, is really impressive. I mean, she got things done that, um, you know, uh, a lesser mortal would have, uh, would have had real difficulty with. I think that her learning on the job was brisk and she just kept it, kept adjusting. And, and frankly, you know, whereas we say it's better to be uh, lucky than, uh, than good, she was both. You know, she was good enough to, to, to make her own luck. I mean, to get that brand theme ratified by all, that was more than the merit of the idea. Yeah, I, I happen to agree with you, Ken. I thought that, and you said it best, the self-awareness analyzing not only her strengths and weaknesses, but the school's strengths and weaknesses and being open about that and willing to talk about it. This is where we need, I need help from people. I need help from the marketing, the marketing organization. I think the only thing that someone might listen to this and say, well, I can't afford a marketing organization because I don't have the reserves. And the, the, what I would say there is their job is to just figure out how to get an outside pro bono group to look at their school, give them the opinion. You know, some people say, I'm going to use my marketing department. I go, no, that's really not going to work. You need to go outside and have someone with a very, very objective viewpoint as she did. And I think she got lucky there that the first idea she bounced and they were willing to come back and say, okay, we'll we'll buy that. I mean, that's part of the creative process, but she uh, really did a spectacular job. And, and I, as I said, I watched her from afar and I, when she did that online Kelly Direct program, I was watching that very closely, and it was done on the gold standard. So it was just terrific. Yeah. The other thing I noted, again, you know, she's so gracious that she doesn't, uh, she's not bragging. But you know what? By by developing a team, almost a team of rivals who were selected in many ways because they, you know, would and could uh, be forthright and direct with her. She also then went on to create a culture, sort of a cabinet culture. So it wasn't just a selection of the individuals. It was the tenor and tone of her both individual and group relations that really allowed them to speak uh, you know, truth to power. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dean's Council. This show is supported in part by Corn Ferry, leaders in executive search. Dean's Council was produced in Boulder, Colorado by Joel Davis of Analog Digital Arts. For a catalog of previous shows, please visit our website at deanscouncil.com. If you have any feedback for us, please let us know by sending an email to feedback at deanscouncil.com. And finally, please hit follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so that you can automatically receive our latest show. Thank you.